Welcome to this interview for the Society of Sports Therapists. I'm Christian Weaver and today I'm speaking with member George Thompson about the job roles since graduation and specifically rehabilitation after serious injury. So George, could you introduce yourself to listeners and tell us what you've been up to since graduation? Hi, yeah. So as Christian said, I'm George Thompson. I graduated from Edge Hill in 2018. I am... I've held a fair, a few roles since graduation. I'm currently sports therapist at the Matt Hampson Foundation. Uh, so I initially started the Matt Hampson Foundation about six months after graduating on a voluntary basis, one day a week, whilst I was working full-time in another job. Um, during my time there, then I've progressed through to now be full-time, but we'll get to that in, in a little bit. Um, I've coached at various gyms doing rehab, prehab, and kind of strength and conditioning coaching. Um, I've worked at three different rugby clubs, including one kind of semi-professional National League rugby club. Um, and then have, yeah, recently, at the, since the start of 2020, have been at the Mount Foundation full-time. Uh, so yeah. yeah, excellent. So there's quite a few different roles that you, you've taken on there. And as you said, one of those is being a sports therapist at the Matt Hampson Foundation. So could you just tell us a little bit more about that and what that role includes? Yeah, so I think it's probably best to give you a bit of context about what the foundation actually is first. Um, so we're a charity started by a guy called Matt Hampson. So Matt, or Hambo as we call him, was injured whilst playing rugby in 2005. So he played for Leicester Tigers in England. Um, he was training with England under 20s and um, sustained a spinal cord injury when a scrum collapsed during training. Uh, so Hambo has been quite well publicised since then in having a c2 c3 spinal cord injury which has left him with left him with little to no function from kind of neck shoulders down um he found a real kind of lack of support for himself in that situation after that so decided he wanted to set up a charity and a foundation to help other people in a similar situation um so he set up the matt hampson foundation in 2011 i believe it was um to support and help young people seriously injured through sport um so he did that for a while, probably for about six or seven years in terms of funding and things like that, and then opened his, or our, I should say, Get Busy Living Centre in 2018. Um, so we've got a rehab centre called the Get Busy Living Centre in Leicestershire, um, where we help young people who have suffered life-changing injuries, mostly through sports, but other active young people who have suffered life-changing injuries in other ways and um, so we work with people with spinal cord injuries head injuries uh, amputees um, a whole variety of things but if it's a life-changing injury then we'll help and support in any way we can um, so i work as part of a, an mdt there so it's me two neuro sports neurotherapists neurophysios um, and a personal trainer so we've got quite a small team and quite a unique team in our setup. We don't have kind of occupational therapists or speech and language therapists that you'd often find in kind of a hospital setting. Um, but we work then alongside the social side of what we do, which I'll speak about later, to help in the rehab and the long-term rehab of our beneficiaries. Um, so specifically my role within that, um, I probably work 70% of the time independently. And then because of the nature of injuries, you quite often need two sets of hands with a lot of people. So myself and the physios will work together 
um, if we're facilitating gait or even just from a manual handling perspective, if people have got little to no function from a high level, then quite often you need that two sets of hands and having having two professionals working together often is really beneficial. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a, a brief overview of my role, but I probably work when I'm working independently, work more in the kind of strength and conditioning realm of what we do. So there's a few kind of Paralympic athletes that I work with within that and then work a lot in the prehab and rehab of other injuries associated with people's conditions. Um, so specifically kind of wheelchair users will often have a lot of shoulder problems just because of the change in nature of the way they're now using their shoulders day to day. Um, so doing a lot of work in kind of strength of posterior shoulder girdle and prehab to because if they lose function of their shoulders, they lose all of their independence and most of their life. So we, it's a big thing to make sure that people's shoulders particularly stay in as good a condition as possible. Um, and yeah, that's kind of a brief overview of, of what I do day to day. Yeah, great. And you mentioned some of the, the key skills that you use in your day-to-day uh, workload. Would you mind just telling us a little bit about what you learned during your degree and how maybe... Mm-hmm that's helped you equip you for the role or perhaps maybe gave you a foundation in, in terms of moving into this kind of role working with those who do have these um, th- these sort of um, restrictions in their movements and the way yeah. that you have to maybe approach them in a slightly different way. Yeah, so it's obviously a very different type of patient to what we typically were trained to work with, which was a real challenge at first. Um, and I had to learn a lot as I went when I was volunteering, when I was working part-time and then up to full-time, um, the foundations and the key skills still remain very, very similar. And if you don't know your anatomy, if you don't have appropriate manual, manual handling skills, you're not going to be able to really get by. Um, especially anatomy is important when the people you're dealing with may not have any sensation in the area you're, area you're working. So I work with a lot of guys who have motor function in areas whether that's legs arms shoulders but don't have any sensation whatsoever so if they've got an issue and it may not be pain but there may be really visible inflammation swelling and they may have found that there's weakness or instability in an area but then can't inform me as a therapist if something's painful so a lot of the tests we often do would require pain to be positive um, and to actually inform us so not having that you need to rely very heavily on your knowledge of actually what's in the area and looking at other signs as opposed to just a pain response um because quite often i remember we had one guy that i was seeing today um had a real increase in tone and spasticity in her legs um so we kind of thought hang on there might be something going on here that we didn't really know about looked a little bit further and then ended up having to refer her off for an x-ray because we think she may have broken a bone in the foot but we're not really sure how but she didn't have any idea about that apart from this increase in tone and spasticity that was kind of an autonomic response that she'd got without knowing she was in pain. She gets that feedback from her, from her tone and spasticity to then inform us as therapists as to we might need to look a little bit deeper and have to then uh, find that. Um, and then, as I mentioned, manual handling skills are so important. Um, with a lot of the guys, we see a very Good way. So with wheelchair users, particularly, we have to we try and get people on their feet as much as possible. Um, so weight bearing through legs is great for tone and spasticity management, but also great for 
preventing pressure sores, for increasing bone density, increasing circulation. There's a whole host of very good benefits from standing. Um, and then from gait facilitation, even if that's not an active thing. So we'll have people supported either in a bodyweight support harness or on a frame or crutches or however they need to be supported. And then us as therapists will facilitate their gait manually. Where if I didn't have the manual handling skills that I was taught into how to move bodies. Yeah, when we were taught it, mainly it was in people. It was all in people who had activity. Um, but that really then helped going into handling bodies that didn't have that muscle activity. Um, and then just from, and again, that rolls over into something as simple as stretching. If I'm working with someone, this one I was with yesterday has very high tone, um, which we manage through kind of stretching weekly and weight bearing weekly and has a whole program to assist that. Um, it's really difficult. And I'm quite strong. I still struggle sometimes to overcome his tone if I move in the wrong way and I handle him in the wrong way. Um, so knowing how to handle people appropriately, particularly when you're trying to overcome really high tone or handling people in a way that could potentially be dangerous for you was really important. Yeah. Great. And you mentioned there that um, you might have to consider maybe not not the sensory system, uh, but may, maybe thinking about maybe the functional anatomy and how that might change. Would that, that be a fair comment that you, you do like almost functional anatomy assessments to to identify whether there are restrictions or is that what yeah. happens? Yeah, so it's going to really depend on situations, but often we can't do a lot of the typical assessments that we would do for an able-bodied person. Um, so a lot of what we do is to develop and improve independent function. And that might not be, that might mean that the patient is then having to move in a way that in an able-bodied person is suboptimal, is probably the best term. But for them, with their level of function, we have to adapt things to be done in a slightly different way. Um, and that goes the same with assessments as well. We can't assess someone with a change in their sensation or a change in their motor function in the same way as someone who would be able-bodied. Um, but that's very situational, situationally dependent. Um, and so I guess having knowledge of functional anatomy so that you can adapt to that situation when it arises is, was really, really important for me. Um, yeah. Okay. And then in terms of your, your day-to-day -day <coughs> activity, what does a typical day look like for you when you're, when you're working with the foundation? Um, so I'm quite, I'm quite, well, I'm very fortunate in a lot of ways with my job, but I work nine to five Monday to Friday, which in, in our world is relatively unusual so it's quite nice um so we see six patients a day uh, as practitioners we have space for that some of those may be duplicates um kind of where we have to team up and work with people together um, so we see three patients in the morning three patients in the afternoon and then as we spoke about earlier briefly that social aspect of the foundation um we close the gym for an hour we stop all physio sessions for an hour um, and everyone sits down and has lunch together. Um, so that's all staff, all beneficiaries that are at the centre at that point. Uh, we'll all sit downstairs and either we'll bring food or we used to before the pandemic, we would cook for everyone every day, um, which we're just starting to get back into. So that's really nice. Um, so I get a lot of time to interact with beneficiaries and become a lot closer with 
patients and patients' families than you probably typically would. Um, when we've got one beneficiary in particular who he comes twice a week and because of his head injury, can't drive, so his wife drives him and they bring their now two-year-old with them as well. Um, so we spend quite a lot of time getting to know patients and patients' family day-to-day as well, which is really nice. Um, and then it's nice to be able to, so throughout the day, we will try and encourage interaction between beneficiaries as well, rather than just interaction with us. Um, because, for example, someone who we've got beneficiaries who have been injured and wheelchair users for 20 plus years, they're going to know an awful lot more about life as a wheelchair user than I am. Um, so we really try and encourage people to tap into each other's knowledge as well and try and facilitate that through things like kind of that lunchtime together. And that's why we close the gym and encourage everyone to come downstairs. Um, yeah. I suppose that, that social aspect uh, is so important, isn't it, within the environment in which you work mm. and probably something that maybe as sports therapists, maybe working with able-bodied athletes, actually we can probably incorporate a little bit more into our own practices to really understand the patient who's sitting in front of us. Yeah, I think... Uh, I didn't quite value how important getting to know patients on a more personal level was. Um, so I had a, have a few patients where getting to know them on a personal level really helps you understand why they want to improve and how they want to improve. Um, and understanding the context behind what they want to do can be really, really important. Uh, so we've got one beneficiary, for example, he was, uh, he's a wheelchair user now. He is C6 incomplete spinal cord injury. So he has some function below his level of injury, um, but he's quite lacking in that aspect. He doesn't have loads of function. Uh, just as he, so just before he was injured, his wife had their second child. So he had two children under three years old when he was injured. Um, and Initially, he came across as very, he was kind of an avid gym goer before his accident. He was a very laddie lad, would like to come across in that same way then. Um, as we got to know him better and got to know his family, he would say there was nothing more that he wanted to do than be able to get onto the floor and play with his daughters and then be able to get back into his wheelchair. Um, so then we spent a long time working on things that because of his level of function, we probably wouldn't have worked on to assist him in being able to do a floor to chair transfer so that he can get down onto the floor and get back up without having to worry too much about things. Um, and then, yeah, uh, so then he now can do a mostly independent floor to chair transfer so he can get on the floor and play with his girls when he's at home, um, which means an awful lot more when you get to know them in that way. And if we hadn't have got to know him on his personal, le personal level, um, I don't think that would have been something that we worked towards as much because of his level of injury. Um, and I think in a similar way for a lot of sports therapists, they may not have that exact situ situation, but getting to know your patients on a more personal level can help you, help inform you about goals that they might be aware of, they might not want to say, or you might be able to come up with other goals with them that they might not have thought of on their own. Um, and then keeping each other motivated through sessions that really helps as well because when you're doing it all day every day it can be quite easy particularly in my setting where patients aren't paying for sessions to be like oh it 
doesn't really matter if I have a, an off day and they're not paying for anything. So no one's really losing out when you've got that personal connection. I don't think I ever really go into sessions thinking it's okay if we don't necessarily get the most out of this. You kind of want to make the most out of every session that you have with people for, for them and for their families. Great. And I think you've given some really nice bits of advice there. Is there any other bits of advice that you might want to sort of pass on to other sports therapists, maybe looking to get into a similar role? Um, so I think the big thing for me, um, as I said, I volunteered one day a week initially. Um, so I just, I was aware of the foundation because they're quite local to me. Uh, Matt went to the same high school that I did. Um, I approached them and just offered my services voluntarily one day a week. Um, and then the lead physio who I was working with that one day a week went on maternity leave. And they asked me if I would come in independently that same day and kind of maintain those patients we'd seen together. If, and then I remember Matt Greg always used to say, whenever anyone asks you anything, always say yes, and then figure it out later. Um, so at that point, I was really unsure because they were often patients that I was I didn't feel at that point that I was massively competent in dealing in working with, but said yes, had three or four weeks before that would start. So spent a long time then educating myself around the injuries I knew I'd be working with. All went obviously went really well because then they asked me to come on three days a week and then full time. Um, so putting in the effort and putting yourself out there and not waiting for opportunities to come to you. I felt found to be really important. Um, there's not loads of opportunities in what we do at, in this kind of setting anyway. Um, so you've got to go out there and make those opportunities for yourself rather than waiting for someone to come and give them to you. Excellent, George. Uh, thank you very much, obviously, for telling us all about the Matt Hampson Foundation and the work that you're doing there. And it's a, a really exciting role. Nice to hear about something slightly different within sports therapy as well. And we're obviously happy to have you a member of the Society of Sports Therapists.